0: i'm gonna go straight into errata because we haven't really had it before so it's so good
1: before the intro of the show no
0: after the intro sorry
1: oh then yeah that does sound good
0: <laughs> i just start the episode with we have two pieces of follow-up and uh <laughs> <laughs>
1: well you're starting it that way now no
0: no here don't worry, here here's some silence Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Rez. My name is Daniel, and with me I have my friend Riley, and today we're going to talk about Dark Souls. Dark Souls. First, however, for the first time ever, we actually have some follow-up slash errata that we need to uh, talk about, clear up a few things that happened in some previous podcasts. That way... We can at least sleep a little better at night, knowing that we've tried to right our wrongs.
1: Okay, tell me what your follow-up is.
0: So, I think that everybody here who's a big fan of the show will remember that the first episode was about The Secret of Monkey Island.
1: I remember that.
0: Yeah. And towards the beginning of that episode, when you were going through and giving kind of an overview of what the game was and what the point-and-click adventure genre is like, mm-hmm. you mentioned in passing uh, a related game called Broken Age, mm-hmm. and I had remembered Broken Age. I had said that, yeah, I wanted I've been wanting to play that game for a while. And I said something stupid about how there's uh, there's some some turn-based tactics in it. And I don't know if that registered with you or not, but clearly something was wrong there, because Broken Age has zero turn-based tactics in it.
1: That did not register with me at all. I actually don't remember you saying that.
0: Some of the people who listened to it did pick up on this, actually, and so they helped me remember the game that I was actually thinking about, which is not Broken Age at all. But what is I, was, I was thinking of The Banner Saga. Ah. <laughs> uh. I just completely goofed on that. Made no sense in the moment. And I wanted everybody to know that I now, I now realize that I was thinking of the wrong game. Broken Age doesn't sound too far off from like marauding Viking turn-based strategy game. I mean... It could fit.
1: You got it mistaken for The Banner Saga, another classic point-and-click RPG.
0: For the sake of not perpetuating my failure, I will explain that it is not a point-and-click adventure game. It's a story-heavy, turn-based strategy-slash-tactics game where you follow like a clan of Vikings as they i don't know leave their homeland or some shit like that
1: it's a slightly different game than broken age
0: yeah yeah just a little bit
1: pretty much entirely well that's interesting i didn't even realize that you had said that so i'm glad that people caught you out in your lie
0: that just means that we have attentive listeners even though there are three of them
1: three is plenty yeah one (laughs) listener for every episode
0: (laughs) yeah well, before I go on to my next follow-up, I want to hear what you say you have follow-up about the last episode. What's that about? I
1: do, I do have some follow-up about the last episode. So the previous episode, to rehash every episode we've ever recorded so far, was about Gravity, the uh, 2013 space survival drama. And in that episode, we talk about there's this debris field. That yeah. is uh, it's kind of the recurring villain. And I was thinking about this on the bus yesterday. And I had said in the episode something about how the debris field, it was going past the astronauts every 90 minutes. Okay. But the astronauts were in the same orbit as the International Space Station, which itself orbits the Earth every 90 minutes. And so in the episode, I said something to the effect that that is absolutely ridiculous because the way for the debris field to be passing the astronauts every 90 minutes, it would have to be going like crazy fast around the earth, oh, like yeah. impossibly fast. Okay. But what I failed to think of was that maybe it was in geosynchronous orbit and the astronauts were going past it every 90 minutes.
0: like oh so
1: so that the debris Uh, field effectively wasn't moving but they were moving past it which created the same effect right so i had this thought but then i went out to the gravity wiki and looked it up and no the movie actually claims that the debris field was moving past them every 90 minutes so i wanted to bring that up because that is a another interpretation of the film which makes more sense than what the film actually says so if anybody was listening to that and thought that isn't that's ridiculous it is ridiculous i agree
0: (laughs) so your follow-up is much less of a of an error on your part but more an affirmation that your criticism was uh was substantiated
1: (laughs) i i thought it may have been an error yeah but it turns out it wasn't my error
0: <laughs> I I do wonder if uh if geosynchronous orbit is possible at that height or if it needed to be a lot farther out cuz I do remember that like geosynchronous satellites are a lot farther out than the international space station.
1: Yeah, I think it needs to be a lot farther out and I think the speed that the debris field was traveling would have flung it out into space if it was going as fast as the movie claims. So, there's another I don't know what what to call that like another neil degrasse tyson physics punch in the face of that movie
0: (laughs) uh y'all need to listen to that episode if you haven't already just to (laughs) to get the full breadth of what he means by that um and you had
1: some follow-up about gravity too
0: it wasn't actually about gravity especially but still within episode two I asked at the beginning if we could get a score out of 7 points. Oh, right, yeah. Which we call the Armon scale, do we not? I thought we called it the Daniel scale. That was a joke, I think, but in in real life, we call that the Armon scale. And continue. <laughs> I actually was talking to Armon and he had something to say about this. He, I'm sure he did I I'm just, I'm just bring the message along just to help because he's not here to defend himself but he claims that it is not the arm on scale mm-hmm. he actually claims that you came up with the scale and that he agreed with how it sounded is this the case? Mm.
1: this is a case where he is halfway right I told him about the scale, but I did not come up with it. Uh, Another person came up with it, who then told me about it. So at this point, I'm completely comfortable with it being the Daniel scale. Because the buck has finally been passed all the way along.
0: To somebody else.
1: To somebody who has nothing to do with the origination of it.
0: Yep. So we're never using the scale ever again until five minutes from now oh so you uh well uh, i i partially regret bringing this up at all (laughs) (laughs) well that's okay i represented his case we'll see if i i get a fuming text from him after this goes out saying that uh he does not feel represented but i tried
1: you tried this isn't judge judy
0: Let's talk about Dark Souls a little bit. So this was uh, a game that came out of your suggestion box after we rolled the die last episode. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the game? Why it was on your list to begin with? Whatever you want to do to help set the stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put Armand's grievances in a box, and he can address those with me later if he needs to. <laughs> so, so Dark Souls. How do you even describe Dark Souls? This game, uh, for people who have never played it before, never seen it, which at this point, if you've played many video games or if you're a part of uh of many gaming communities you probably are aware of what dark souls is if you haven't Mm -hmm. um, i'll just do a a quick rundown this is a kind of a fantasy rpg it's third person so you are from the perspective of a a camera hovering around above your character and Your character runs around in this world of zombies and dragons and wizards fighting their way through vast armies to get to bosses, killing the bosses in some some sort of order, um, and then eventually trying to triumph over the main bad guy in the world. So it's a pretty straightforward as far as what the game is uh, formula. Right. The the things that make Dark Souls interesting, though, is it's not like a Final Fantasy RPG where you've got the turn-based combat. Yeah. This is all happening in real time. And it's also not one of those games where, when I say real time you know you've got some games that when you attack you just instantly attack and it hits the enemy and they this game is much more slow paced Mm -hmm. because when you tell your character to swing the sword they actually have to swing the entire sword and the sword has to connect with the enemy and if the enemy hits you before you can hit them then you're going to get staggered so it's very it's known for being very difficult because it's kind of a proxy onto what actual combat would be like Mm -hmm. if you were the guy running around with a sword. So, you know, if you've got a tiny little sword, you can swing it fast, and you can do some small amounts of damage. If you've got a big sword, it takes a long time to swing that thing. Right. But it does a ton of damage. So the challenge of Dark Souls, or the the thing that makes it interesting and different from other role-playing games uh where you're basically just fighting through baddies and killing bosses is that it's it's a much more carefully choreographed battle game.
0: By choreography do you kind of mean timing is 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 like central to all of that combat?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, timing is huge knowing when to time your attacks and then knowing what your opponent's moveset is. So knowing all of the different attacks that the bosses have, all of the different attacks that the enemies have, being able to recognize those attacks when they start winding them up so that way you know where to roll out of the way or when you can parry them. Um, It's a game that requires the player to get a lot of knowledge about the people and the enemies that they're fighting and it's very rewarding whenever you... Beat an enemy because there, there's no easy way to get around things in Dark Souls for the most part, unless you are deeply familiar with the game and know how to abuse some of the mechanics. Right. That's kind of what the the game itself is mm-hmm. the the story that the game is is kind of encapsulated in. Like I said, is is high fantasy. It's an RPG. There's dragons, but you play as. A character who is an undead and in the world of dark souls there are these ages that the world goes through um, cycles if you will Mm -hmm. and the world is trapped in these cycles of fire and rebirth and all of the humans in dark souls have become uh, when you die you don't actually die you become what's called undead and the undead, if they die enough, they become what's called hollow. So they go crazy over time. The more that you die, you, you get reborn at these bonfires. If you die too many times, you go hollow and you go insane and you become one of the monsters that are just kind of roaming around the world. Hmm. So your job as the undead is to go through and kill all of these bosses and acquire all of these souls and restore your humanity and get to the kind of the final boss of the game and help perpetuate the, the cycle of fire. So that's, that's the story that Dark Souls is set within. But I want to ask you, Daniel, did you realize that that was the story that it was set in?
0: I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, most of that had no idea okay and why the 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 pieces that i did know about it actually had a really cool uh set of intro cinematics that helped to set up some of that like the fact that you're undead that you as you as you die again over and over again you become less and less human uh and the fact that the 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 world is. I think there were dragons involved. I can't remember exactly, but mm-hmm. the 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 world is going through like cycles and things. That was kind of set up, and it was a really cool cinematic. But something that I feel like is important to know about Dark Souls is that, at least in your in your day to day interaction with the story, it's not in the background, but it's it's not in your face. That's for sure. And mm. so I think there's a really solid chance that I just didn't happen upon a lot of the things that would that would add to that story. Like any of the MP like I might not have hit the same NPCs or I might not even remember what the NPCs said that I talked to, because as I'm sure we'll get to, you mentioned the bonfires. Those are your only respawn points, and it becomes it it becomes harder to go back to those things because if you if you're talking to something or if you're talking to somebody who helps to expand on that story, and then you move on to another part of the world. Your your respawns only go to the local bonfire or the bonfire you were at last, and it's really impractical to to make your 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 last uh slept bonfire be back where you were talking to that npc it makes sense for you to rest at at the other bonfires and you get farther and farther away so if you want to talk to those guys you got to kind of play back through the game as you resurrect at bonfires or rest at bonfires again all of the enemies come back so it's not like you beat them and then they're gone forever the world is always filled with bad guys right
1: Right, because they're also resurrecting
0: So that's probably why I didn't get I didn't really get a lot of that backstory um, Is because I probably either missed it Or or didn't get to talk to the people Who would help expand on that
1: How far through the game did you get?
0: So I'm I'm not going to bait you I'm going to first say not very far But let me explain (laughs) Mhm. I I played a lot of Dark Souls. Okay. And I think that I think that this gets at generally what my experience with the game was, but it was very tough. Okay. I was I see down here you're you're also asking about was it as hard as you thought? It was it was harder than I thought. Really? <laughs> yes. There's there's something about The way that this game was designed and the and the way combat works that i just i was i was not able to perform very well (laughs) okay so i got to uh i tried to fight the taurus demon about six times and i wasn't able to beat him (laughs)
1: How many hours did you play?
0: It was like... It was like... Six or so hours or something. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that I... I think that I... I'm going to talk about this later, but... There are some problems with the way that this game starts out early on... That I think made it really difficult for me to... To have the motivation to, like... Keep pushing... Um, okay and a lot of those were the bosses but like with the secret of monkey island i made a mistake really early on that cost me a lot of time and okay. and that affected how well i was able to deal with the small enemies which to probably most players they're going to be confused as to why they were so hard for me but the reason was because during the Uh, the Undead Asylum the tutorial level the tutorial level is done completely through like scrawlings on the ground that you have to read yep and I am pretty dang sure that I misread the one that taught you how to use your shield okay so I knew I could raise my shield but I thought that the only way that it was going to be effective was if I timed it perfectly And I raised it at just the right second. (laughs) Oh, okay. So, so much of that time was spent me getting frustrated that I couldn't block anything. That Mm. I couldn't, that it took like 20 minutes to get back to where I was before because I would have to dodge, dodge, dodge. And then like try to get a hit in, dodge, dodge, dodge. It was a mess. It was a total mess. And... I think I can say that this is an example of where the game I mean it's it's the nature of the game showing through there that this game is about you really mastering the mechanics and and putting them to work against the enemies that you're playing against. I also see this though as an example of where the the game the game didn't help me fix that mistake until I finally just tried Holding it down because I was like, "Let me just run at them," mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'm like, "Oh, this just blocks everything." I, yeah, <laughs> I don't need to worry about anything anymore. But that took a really long time to get to, and I feel like the game didn't do a good job of of helping reinforce that. Us aside from me eventually just trying it again because I couldn't go back and reread the thing I had left the asylum, so the tutorial was gone. Hmm. So that's where I got to, to answer your question.
1: Okay, so you got to the Taurus Demon. So something to kind of qualify here is that the world of Dark Souls is not linear. You can complete the whole game without ever going to the Taurus Demon.
0: That is something that I, uh, after I had played for a while, I looked some stuff up. And it was saying that I didn't even need to go there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there are other routes that you can take. Um, uh, but the Taurus Demon is definitely the most straightforward route. It's it's the route that most players will find themselves on the first time. Yeah. So that means that you fought in the undead asylum, the first boss is the asylum demon. Yeah. That's kind of the tutorial boss. Yeah. And then you might have fought the Capra Demon.
0: Uh I don't actually think that I did. <laughs> I think that I went the complete wrong way after what I was okay. reading up on the wiki pages and stuff, which is also okay. frustrating. But anyway,
1: <laughs> so you went to the asylum or to the, uh, the Taurus demon yeah. was the next boss that you made it to and you didn't beat him.
0: I was not able to beat him. Got close a couple of times. Not quite able to though. Uh huh.
1: Tell me about your loadout. What, what character were you playing? What was your starting class? What weapon, what shield, that kind of stuff.
0: I was playing as uh, the... I think that it was called a rogue. But it's like the hooded dude who who starts with like a a scimitar, I think. Uh Uh-huh. The bandit? It might be called the bandit, yeah. I was drawn to that one because I, I, I figured that... Hey, look, it's just a dude with a sword... And maybe a bow and arrow. I don't have to deal with any magic. Let's keep this as simple as possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Less of a chance that I screw something up, even though I screwed something up. Um, and generally speaking, so I spent I spent about four and a half out of my six or so hours playing the game in the Undead Burg. Or Burg. Yeah, the
1: Undead Burg.
0: Okay. Uh And so everything I had was from there. <laughs> There's uh because I played so many times, I got the I got the to pillage pretty much every enemy who could drop something good. Uh-huh. I got uh the the big battle axe, which I really liked. I, I wrote down in my notes very specifically, like as soon as I got the axe, I was in such a good spot. I was able to just chop dudes, and it was it, like they were nothing. Yep. I eventually got the spear but the spear wasn't as as good in my opinion Um, I eventually got one of their shields which was pretty good actually it was better than the normal shield that I had I think and then towards the very end I got a short bow which was a <laughs> another thing that I wish I had had earlier on that was just it made everything so much easier hmm there's dudes really yeah there's a couple dudes who are like throwing fireballs at you all the time yep and for a really long time i just had to keep dodging them and then eventually get up there and kill them with a bow and arrow i was like dead 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 and then i could move on and it took it it helped to alleviate the time necessary to reset by a lot
1: right so when you say time to reset Whenever you rest at a bonfire, like Daniel was saying earlier, that becomes your new respawn point, point. and if you die while fighting anything, even a boss, you have to go all the way back to that bonfire, and all of the enemies between you and where you died have respawned. So, whenever you get to the bonfire uh, in the 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 bridge pillar that takes you to the Taurus demon, there's probably... Like, if you were to stop and fight the guys, there's, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 guys between you and the Taurus Demon. That if you were to stop and fight them every time would probably take you 15-ish minutes to get back to where you were. That's just to get back to the boss arena so in dark souls the bosses aren't just walking around in the world they hide behind these little doors called fog gates Mm -hmm. and when you go through the fog gate nothing can follow you into it but you can't leave so you basically get locked in this arena with the boss and in the case of the taurus demon you uh you're running through this think of like a medieval town um you're running through the houses in this medieval town and you finally make it to a wall that guards the city and you ascend up this uh, this tower that's at, that's part of the wall. So you're going up this big spiral staircase and you emerge from the fog gate onto the top of the wall. and it's pretty narrow and You can see in the distance another fog gate, Mm -hmm. and when you start walking toward it, this giant, like hairy, uh, it's like a gorilla mixed with, I don't know, something very sinister and evil demon, (laughs) it looks like a bull.
0: Yeah, it's got horns.
1: Right. It jumps down off of the tower in front of you and onto the bridge. And you have to fight it on this very narrow, narrow bridge um, and kill it. And that's what then releases the, the next fog gate or the next door for you to go through. To complicate matters a little bit, the first time that you fight him, you probably don't realize that when you go through the fog gate, the the tower that you just came out of, there's two archers sitting on top of it mm-hmm. that you have to go up to and kill if you want to make the fight a little bit easier. So probably the first time through you're getting shot in the back and you're getting smashed with a giant rock hammer in the face from the front. Mm -hmm. So that is to say, it can be very frustrating and demoralizing when you start at this bonfire, you've fought and fought and fought your whole way through to the fog gate to only get to the boss and have maybe half of your healing items, and then the boss just comes down and completely crushes you.
0: One other thing about the respawn, um, at least whenever I was playing, I noticed that any items that I had used were gone. Those did not come back when I respawned. What do you mean? Except for, um, the Estus flasks, like my, any arrows that I would use were gone. Any firebombs that I would use were gone. Um, Yep. That's that kind of harkens back to the lore I guess which is that you're not actually dying and coming and getting another chance or something. You're you're dying and then being re revived from the dead. So time keeps going forward basically. Exactly. Yep. So any consumable items
1: that you use are gone and there's no like you can't pick them back up either. If you found some arrows on a guy's body. Yeah. You can't go back and get those same arrows. They're gone.
0: So that's about where I got to. If I remember correctly, I think you had mentioned that you got farther than that. With that setting, since uh, we didn't mention at the top, um, we're trying not to say too much as far as spoilers go in this section, um, mm-hmm. but I, I think you had gotten a lot farther, didn't you?
1: I did get a little bit further this is the interesting thing about dark souls and spoilers is you can play the whole game and still not know what it's about. Yeah. So there's not really too many spoilers alone in just us talking about the game. It's very hard to define what a spoiler would be for dark souls.
0: Just as long as like, maybe we don't talk about like specific ways to beat a boss. If people don't want to know that or like,
1: sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I played I forgot. We didn't even mention this at the at the beginning of the episode. We said at the end of the last episode that we were going to play Dark Souls Remastered, but Daniel ended up playing the original Dark Souls Prepare to Die edition on the Xbox. Mm-hmm. We'll get into probably some of the differences between the two editions later or the lack thereof. <laughs> So I was playing the remastered edition, and I played the the original Prepare to Die edition. So I played both of them, um, and got to roughly the same point on both of them. I uh, I beat Ornstein and Samo on both of them, just as like a a quick few hour jaunt through the game. Once the thing about Dark Souls is, once you've kind of mastered some of the boss interactions. Mm-hmm the game becomes much more straightforward once you learn the attack patterns and you learn the timings of dodging a huge thing about the game is and i don't know if this is the natural player inclination it might not be for everybody but once you get killed by a boss enough and you start getting really pissed off that you have to go through the same 15 enemies to get back to him normally people just start hauling ass they won't fight any of the little enemies along the way you'll just run 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 and you'll try to get as far as you can past all these enemies before fighting anything before you get to the boss and in doing that you start learning like the ways to navigate the world that really don't require fighting any enemies and so for me there was a lot less of of there was still a lot of dying to bosses Don't get me wrong, but there was a lot less of it taking 15 minutes to get back to the boss. It was like maybe one minute uh, because I just ran straight there past all the enemies to get back to the boss. And just as a footnote, something else that happens when you die, when you're killing these enemies, you're getting souls, which are the game's kind of experience points. And when you die, you drop all of the experience points that you gained in that lifetime. And to level up, you have to spend these experience points and to buy stuff at the store, you have to spend the same points. Mm -hmm. So the only way that you can level up is if you get to another bonfire or you can go back to your original bonfire and then spend all of those points in leveling up. So if you go really far out and let's say you make it to the boss and you've got like five or 6,000 souls and then the boss kills you, you have to go back to where you died and pick up the souls that you dropped or they disappear
0: which can be a big deal depending on how much you're carrying
1: especially at lower levels and especially with newer players you can get locked in this sort of cycle of like really needing to go really feeling like you need to go back and get those souls because they're gonna give you like six or seven levels up and that could push you you know just far enough over the edge in power level to compensate for getting hit one too many times but getting trapped in that mindset is, I think, what causes a lot of the frustration. Because um, then, if you die on the way back, you lose. You have this like perceived loss of you know thousands and thousands of experience points, and it can be very frustrating and demoralizing. When in reality, like once you play enough of the game, you start to realize that souls don't. It's not that they don't matter, um, but they definitely don't matter as much like you you know how many you can get away with not having i guess is the way to say
0: it and you can also get more yeah you can always get more because all of the enemies that you would have killed to get those souls revive as soon as you die you're able to to just well it kind of sucks that i have to fight all of them but maybe this time i only fight half of them and then i come back and use the souls to level up or something instead of gung hoing it all the way where I went before
1: right so I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about leveling up and about character builds and that kind of strategy but to to answer your question I played the I played the original game like the, the original edition uh-huh. for maybe five hours or so and got to Ornstein and Smo, and then I played the remastered version a bit more. I played it maybe nine hours or so because I wanted to try out the DLC and I never tried it before, and so I got considerably further. I think I got to like level sixty-three or four.
0: Um, for the original version, really quick. Um, whenever we set out to play Dark Souls, you asked that I get to Anor Londo. Which I didn't, but in relation to Anne Orlando, where where is what you just said? Like how far along is that? There are
1: four bosses that you absolutely have to beat to get to Anne Orlando, and then Ornstein and Smo are are kind of the fifth boss. Um, yeah, they're the they're the first boss of Anne Orlando that you have to go through to, to progress the game forward. Now, on the original playthrough, I basically only beat those four or five bosses, but like we were saying before, it really depends on the route that you choose to go. And on my remastered character, I decided I was gonna kill every boss uh, up to that point. So I killed all of the bosses. I killed the Taurus Demon, the Capra Demon, I went back to the asylum. You can go back to the tutorial area.
0: Ah, dang it.
1: (laughs) it, There's like a, it's, but it's not obvious. Yeah. How you get back there. There's like a very secret pathway you have to go to get back there and you can only do it after you've killed the bell gargoyles. So that's, it, it was a little bit further from where you were, but there's another boss that's in the asylum. So I went back and killed him. So I probably killed like 14 or 15 bosses on the remastered edition right so i I got a little bit further um but i have played considerably more dark souls than you have and i have watched considerably more like i i I guess i just am a a lot more immersed in dark souls and what it is Mm -hmm. and that kind of at some point i think you start to miss the forest for the trees with with that like you start to take for granted just how much you know about Dark Souls and how very different the experience is for a new player.
0: That's what I think was a really cool thing about picking this uh, for us two to play because of all the experience that you have. You can talk a lot more about, about the secret passages, about the ways around things, about what the game really is. And then for me, you get the hair on fire like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Viewpoint. It's it's a it's a it's it's a good pairing. Yeah, you get to
1: feel what it actually means to play the game for the first time, which is something that I still get echoes of like don't get me wrong, I was still yelling at my character <laughs> a few times in this playthrough. Some of the reasons were my fault and some of the reasons were the game's fault, but or not necessarily the game's fault, but kind of how the series has evolved over time has changed my expectations of the game. Yeah. For example, in Dark Souls, there this is part of a series. There are two other Dark Souls games that come after it, Dark Souls 2 and 3. There is a, another game after that called Bloodborne, which is very much in the same sort of third-person character, action RPG genre. And they've made a lot of improvements to how the game plays over time, how the combat plays. One of those improvements is called omnidirectional rolling. So you can roll in any direction in those games. In Dark Souls, you're locked to like 16 different rolling directions or something. So there were like, for example, times where I I've gotten very used to having omnidirectional rolling and going back to having very few directions to roll in, I would accidentally like roll off a cliff. Or like I would try to roll past an enemy and I would just roll straight into them um, and get just get my my teeth completely kicked in. So those things were frustrating because it felt like the game does feel a little more dated from its its uh, successors. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there was just the frustration that was due to me being a complete idiot and and dying like the Taurus demon. Um, I died on the Taurus demon on the original on on the original edition like maybe nine times because i was trying to kill him in a specific way you can bait the taurus demon into following you very close to the ledge of the tower of the uh of the wall that you're on and then if you run at him sometimes he will jump backwards So you can bait him to the edge and then run at him And he'll jump off of the wall and kill himself
0: Oh, that explains all the scrawlings over on the wall portion That said try jumping Mm Mm-hmm God, ah (laughs) I thought that those were were, uh, people trying to be funny
1: Oh, and like encourage you to kill yourself? Yes (laughs) Do you want to explain what those scrawlings are?
0: Yes, Uh, and this actually took me Far too long uh to figure out myself, but I, I actually didn't do it. Um but I saw where you could purchase the item that lets you do it. Some merchant in the undead burge. Burg. Well, yeah, whatever. Burg burger in the undead burger will sell you a burger.
1: I just don't want there to be follow
0: about this. <laughs> uh he'll sell you this I can't remember if it was like a, if it was like a, it wasn't a quill, it was something else that was weird, but some kind of way to write on the ground messages. It's called an orange guidance soapstone. Soapstone. And those messages are actually available to other players. Now, this is actually something that you can help with. There's a set number of things you can say, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, there's kind of like a, a Mad Libs formula for writing messages.
0: Okay. So you can't write like Daniel was here or something stupid like that. You can only say things that could theoretically be helpful, like Bonfire Imminent, which I saw what I felt like was thousands of messages saying Bonfire Imminent right next to the <laughs> bonfire. <laughs> Or like what I was talking about earlier You can write Try jumping And that's what I saw along the wall Which I think through the weird Twisted internet speak That you have to interpret these by What I think means Try to bait The Taurus demon Into jumping off
1: Yeah, these messages are very Cryptic because of this Madlib Style communication They can't say very many specific things and so they fit right in with basically everything else about Dark Souls. The only straightforward thing about Dark Souls is the combat. Everything else is incredibly cryptic. So you're always in this quasi-online mode where other people are leaving these messages that you can read and you can leave messages for them to read and, and vote on if it's a good or a bad message. There's another aspect of the somewhat always online mode that I don't know if you got to participate in but it's PvP and PvE when you're running around you'll see sometimes these like ghosts of other people these phantoms of other soldiers Um, and those are real people playing the game at the same time as you if you go to a bonfire and you've used an item called a humanity you can you can Do this thing called revert hollowing, so you can turn yourself back into a human if you offer up somebody else's humanity that you've stolen. And when you become human, you can see these things on the ground called summon signs, and you can summon other people into your world to help you fight bosses, fight enemies, um, or you can be invaded by other people that will try and kill you. So there's a whole layer of like player interaction that unless you reverse hollowing, you never know about.
0: I was terrified to use my humanity because I, f- I felt like I was accidentally going to use it at the wrong time. <laughs> but I did have some that I could have used, and I kept trying to reverse hollow, but it said no humanity. I love the translations, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. So... That That's honestly mind blowing That that exists uh, I played that whole time without I saw the ghost figures But I just thought that they were there to To act as like an example that you can follow But they never made any sense Like the things they did never made any sense <laughs>
1: Yeah that's cause those are real people That don't make any sense
0: There was um There was this this thing that I kept seeing Where I could touch a blood pool Uh huh is that related at all?
1: It is related. So, the blood stains, these are other things that'll show up on the ground. You can touch these blood stains and you'll see those same figments running around. That shows how somebody else died. So, when you die, a blood stain appears for other people. Oh my goodness. And they can touch it and see what happened to you, which is very useful for, you know, if you're walking around and you see a random blood stain and you touch it and you see this guy, you know, walk past a corner in front of you and just get completely like mauled to death, then that tells you
0: there's probably
1: something around this corner that I need to watch out for.
0: That's frustrating to hear because I had the exact opposite interpretation for some unknown reason. Okay. What do you mean? I interpreted those... Well, this this is clearly not how it works. But this is how I thought it worked. It's like a it's like a monkey in a spaceship. You just push a bunch of buttons, and you're like, ah, 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 I think this does this. Um, but I, I I kept pushing those, and I thought that they were supposed to explain how somebody beat like a, a an enemy of some oh. kind, and that the blood <laughs> stain was the enemy. But I kept oh. watching people just try and then die, and I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, I kept seeing I I thought that like I don't know I couldn't tell what was supposed to be a cruel joke And what was not supposed to be a cruel joke (laughs) Mm -hmm. So talking to you though Really helps to clarify a lot of things
1: Right And that's the thing about Dark Souls ultimately That when people Talk about it being difficult It's Nine times out of ten Not because the game is hard, but because there is so much that can help you in the game that you just don't know about, unless you have somebody else tell you. This is something that's a huge draw for a lot of people, and it makes a really interesting community form around these games, because you have the people that will go in, and and they'll be the ones that find everything out. And they'll make content and they'll make guides and they'll tell all their friends. And so they kind of become like the oracles of Dark Souls and how everything works. And then you get all the new players that come in and you're just dropped into this world completely unawares of what's going on or or the right way to play the game Uh um, or the things that can help you. And so you turn oftentimes to these people that know more than you about the game and have them explain it to you. And in that way, I really like Dark Souls because it's a very, to use a, a like a game design term, diegetic way to learn about the game. You and your character are experiencing the same thing, right? You're just getting dropped into this world that you don't understand. Nobody's explaining it to you. You're having to figure these things out all on your own. And the way that you get better is either by exploring and interpreting the world for yourself or finding somebody else to act as a guide for you another another undead who has been through the crucible that can explain to you here are the things that you need to do and here are the things you need to avoid
0: i totally see why that works with a lot of people especially yourself i will say though however there are other games that have the same that have you kind of be placed in the same well place as your character that don't do it quite as harshly as Dark Souls does in my in my experience here. And that's something that I feel like doesn't work for every player. I think that there's I think that whenever you say that there's that this is a game that works for a lot of people, I do think that that is a set of gamers. Not everybody is going to work well in that paradigm. And I feel like I'd, it didn't work super great for me.
1: I think you are still very early in your journey. Um, and I won't tell you what you like and what you don't like, but I will say that For people who approach Dark Souls thinking that they can take the game on on their own terms, it's going to be a bad experience. And for people to approach it with any kind of expectation that the game should be catering to them or that the game should be um, like I think most games are today, explaining what's going on, helping point people in the right direction, Dark Souls doesn't do any of that. Dark Souls is not a power fantasy Um, it's not a game about enabling a player to feel a certain way dark souls is about putting a challenge up against a person and seeing and letting the person rise to that challenge themselves so it's a very different style of game than most games are out there today and not necessarily a style that you should play if you want to be entertained so I think it's it's not so much that, uh, you know, there's probably people that it's just never going to work for, but I would say that most of that, in my opinion, is due to people not approaching it with the right attitude. If you approach the game expecting something from it, you're going to be very disappointed and you're going to be really turned off, and like it should be part of the player expectation, that you're going to die a lot, that you're really going to struggle, and that you're gonna need to find help.
0: I I I see what I see what you're saying there. Uh, I'll stand by what I was saying earlier, though. I do feel as though there are games that 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 try to do the same thing that just aren't as harsh, that can at least like, on average, are at least easier to make progress through. What game? Uh, comes to mind for you. uh, Yeah, as an example, Ori and the Blind Forest. It does a a similar kind of thing. I think that what also could... I don't want to get lost is that uh, the the core mechanic, which is like the the whole RPG and then the the real-time like sword play type thing is also really important as to whether or not it's going to work for you. And in in a similar not in a similar genre but like a, a similar way of thinking Ori and the Blind Forest I feel like does a similar thing that Dark Souls does for a platformer and additionally it also was a lot easier for at least me to approach and and make progress in than Dark Souls was yeah it's also more it's also newer. You were pointing out that that this is this is from a different design period, I guess, in in the history of video games. <laughs> this is what people wanted at the time for sure.
1: Well, that's that's the interesting thing is I don't think anybody knew that they wanted this. There when when Dark Souls came out, there were not many games on the market like it. Um and the game that so there there was a, a prequel, a spiritual prequel to Dark Souls called Demon Souls. And that game didn't sell nearly as well. Um, it wasn't as as widely received as Dark Souls for some reason. So I think it took a long time before people before this this game found its niche of players. And and I just think that the the dif- the difference that you're highlighting here is in terms of learning curve if you had to if you had to draw a graph with amount that you have to learn on the y axis so the the level of experience you need to be competent and then the the time played on the x axis a game like Ori and the Blind Forest is very much just a slow straight line upward that you don't need to know much about the game when you start playing, and it's a very easy, gentle slope all the way up. A game like Dark Souls, there's a bit of a cliff at the very beginning of the game, right? The the amount that you need to know starts off pretty low, but then jumps up, like a step function increase yeah. um, after playing the game for for only a few hours. And it's that first, I think, step function increase that until you get over that through getting help, through looking at guides and resources and tutorials, the game will not work for you.
0: Yeah. uh, Something that you said earlier is that, uh, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but essentially, I feel like as soon as you leave the tutorial island, the challenge begins. (laughs) it uh, the that first area seems to be designed at least from my perspective to to be something that not everybody's going to get past because they they either don't come at it from the the angle that the designers were looking for or they they try to follow the the advice of the oracles like you were referring to and it and they're just not able to execute those kinds of things I feel like it starts extremely early in the game. And people got to be ready for that.
1: <laughs> no, you absolutely have to be. And, and I think it probably changes depending on how you get introduced to the game. Uh, my introduction to Dark Souls was through watching a lot of the speedruns. So I'd never played it uh. until I had watched you know, lots of speedruns and even some slower playthroughs. And, and learned from other people how the game worked and so whenever I jumped in I had some idea of what was going on and even then it still took me an enormous amount of time so it's a game that's not I won't say that it's not for everybody but you have to meet the game it's definitely not a game that's going to meet you
0: I think I'm probably more comfortable with saying it's not for everybody, but I think that it's it's not like an innate thing. I think that it's a decision thing. People need to know, people need to listen to fine publications such as ours and uh and, and kind of get a feel for like what it would take to meet these really early challenges and and decide like, you know, Daniel and Riley said that we should probably We should probably look at some tutorials or get an idea for for how to beat even the earliest bosses. Do I want to do that, yes or no? And and that's what I feel like is the distinction. Not everybody's going to want to do that, and I think that's fine. It's not fine.
1: (laughs) On the flip side, because this game is so challenging every victory is so rewarding like you you earn it so by the time you finish dark souls you have accomplished something which i think is the that's the the thing that i the one of the things that i really like about it that to me differentiates it from a lot of these video games like ori in the blind forest which is not a bad game but by the end of ori and the blind forest you it's it's like okay i've played the game cool like there were some cool moments there were some tough moments but the because that slope that we were talking about of difficulty is pretty straightforward the the level of accomplishment is kind of proportional to that right and because dark souls is a much more like you have to to get over some serious challenges um, both from your understanding and from the games just mechanically playing the game like your skill has to increase you have to learn more about the game you have to learn more about the world and once you've done all of that you have become better at it um so so the level of accomplishment is really rewarding
0: the only thing that i would that i would maybe rephrase about what you were saying is i don't i don't think that you meant to say this exactly but i don't think that you mean to say that all other video games that don't follow this paradigm are not rewarding like have zero feeling of reward i think that you're trying to say that dark souls has one of the highest levels of of feeling rewarded after you accomplish something compared to a lot of games that you've played is that is that is that correct
1: yeah that's that's a fair way to rephrase it okay because with Dark Souls, nothing is guaranteed. Yeah. Your progress is not guaranteed. It's entirely dependent on how well you're going to play the game.
0: Additionally, I, I do actually have written down on here that... Um, I I figured that you were going to say that it was extremely rewarding <laughs> to to surmount these things. And I gotta say that it wasn't for me very rewarding mostly because of a lot of stuff that we had already talked about about how the early game is designed to give you the challenge up front there's not like a there's not anything baked into it to ease you up to it aside from maybe tutorial island but even then tutorial island is is not messing around either
1: <laughs> yeah but you also didn't make it to the point where you could have been rewarded
0: that's true that's true I started I had to like keep I had to keep moving the bar with which I could jump over. <laughs> it became like, man, I'm going to feel really rewarded if I if I make it to where they're throwing the fireballs. <laughs> if it gets like that low, it's not a it's not limbo anymore. You're stepping over it, but <laughs> but then you start to run into like it's not a lot the really good stuff would obviously come from you you beating like the taurus demon or something right if you if you if you find yourself with dark souls settling for the really small victories then i feel like that's also a sign that that it's going to be harder for you right because then that means that you're you're either not paying attention to the to the larger objectives as much, and you're trying to like ease your way back to where the boss is and not trying to find ways to not fight or not trying to find ways to skip sections or that kind of thing. because those are, as I feel like I'm learning through this through talking to you today, those are just as much part of the game as the combat is.
1: Well, it's just one of those games that really anything goes. Because the game doesn't tell you how to play it, any way that you can beat it is a legitimate way to beat it. And so if that involves, you know, you kind of have to dispel any, like I said before, expectations of how to play the game. If you want to make progress against the, the really high difficulty curve. And, you know, I, I'm kind of talking the game up here for being difficult. I don't think this is a perfect game. I, I think there are many, many ways to improve the game. I think there are sections of it that are flat, just bad. And there are, there are parts of it that are amazing. But there's nothing else like it, really. There, There's a lot of games that have been made lately that are trying to emulate it with to varying degrees of success. Um, but Dark Souls... And, and the whole Souls series, in my mind, kind of holds a special place because it, it does something that other games normally just don't do.
0: This is all uh made by the same group of people, correct? Throughout the series, for the most part? Yeah, so Dark Souls 1
1: and 3 and Bloodborne and even Demon Souls, I think, were all made by the same studio from software. Right. I think there was some and I don't know all the particulars of this, but Dark Souls 2 was, I think, made by a different group of people at from software than all of the other games, and it really shows um, it's kind of the 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 black sheep of the series.
0: <laughs> yeah I
1: hate it. I can't play it. Th- there's just enough subtle things that are different about it that really ruin it for me. And and I think that is a testament to just how difficult it is to get this formula right. That all of these other games, these even the souls, the souls like games that are out there today that do a lot of the same things as Dark Souls, with, you know, enemies respawn whenever you die, you lose experience points on death, the game's supposed to be challenging, blah blah blah. Even the people who made Dark Souls made a bad Dark Souls. <laughs>
0: The whole reason I, I, I ask is that it sounds like the people who made Dark Souls are just somehow, as what happens every now and again, evil geniuses <laughs> who have just maybe maybe unintentionally have fallen onto a formula that works really well if uh uh if you're willing to to follow it, I guess, right?
1: Hmm. Well, and, and they're improving it with every game. There, there are improvements to be made, but we can talk about that later.
0: Yeah, sure. I just am kind of curious because you've you've been speaking very highly about this now, and you've you've spoken very highly about Dark Souls in the past. You you've kind of touched on why it's a really rewarding game, but why does it stay? Like why? what what keeps you what keeps you coming back for the sequels except for number 2 and and uh, and and like watching speedruns and and all that stuff like what is it that that stands out to you about dark souls
1: i think there's a few things that really stand out to me about it like i've said there's a real reward in playing and beating a souls game that is very attractive to me and other games are very rewarding as well but this is rewarding on uh to me a very visceral level and i don't know why this is but i feel like with dark souls the character struggle and the player struggle are so much cl- like more closely intertwined than in other games and and probably has a lot to do with the way they tell the story they're not hitting you over the head with story they're not putting you in the boots of you know the FNG who shows up on the Iraq military base and then does this big bombastic call of duty campaign that is inevitably leading towards player victory like modern warfare 2 is hard on veteran mode very hard you get shot with like two bullets and you're dead it's it's ridiculously difficult and I think there's a similar sort of, superficially similar, slog, 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 struggle, learn exactly where to shoot, learn exactly when to walk around the corner mentality that by the end of it, you feel rewarded. But I feel like with Dark Souls, it's, it's not that the game, it's hard to describe. It's not that the game is unfair. It's just that you don't know enough most of the time, and when you finally figure out what it is that you were missing, it's, it's like everything becomes unlocked, everything becomes so much clearer. Going back and playing through that same difficult level of Modern Warfare 2, you know, it's going to be difficult every single time you try to play it, because it requires nearly perfect play. Dark Souls, once you've learned what it is that you were missing, it's like you you're just going to run circles around that boss or that area or or that thing that was somehow insanely difficult for you the first time. So, you know, when you get better at the game, you actually get better at the game. I think that's a huge part of why I like it.
0: Could maybe, another way that you could say it, in the example of Modern Warfare 2 on Veteran, its difficulty comes from some kind of, like, number change or or like or like just some kind of stat change whereas the difficulty in dark souls comes from you needing to learn the actual game to begin with from the very get-go you can't turn you can't dial that up you also can't dial that back
1: yeah it, yeah exactly it would be like trying to make a rubik's cube harder by making the faces more difficult to turn like that that makes it harder but it doesn't make it more rewarding So I think that that's that's a really key element for me, and I think the other thing is just how deep the game is, because playing through the game with a shield and a one-handed sword is an entirely different experience than playing the game with a big two-handed sword, no shield, or with a bow and arrow, or with a staff and magic, like... You can put yourself into new situations in the game, where that you you start back at the bottom of the difficulty curve, because learning how to play the game with sorceries, you know, is entirely different than learning how to play it with a battle axe. So that's really cool to me as well.
0: It's something that uh, that a lot of games try to get to, but in your experience, Dark Souls legitimately put you back at the bottom of the cliff when you make those changes and they can even be subtle changes and you really like that.
1: Yeah. I like I like having to figure out the puzzle all over again.
0: <laughs> It'd be like if the Rubik's cube doesn't always look like a cube.
1: <laughs> and it's so cool to me that the world is very lived in. The story is super deep and none of it is told to you explicitly almost like it's stuff you have to figure out by reading item descriptions and by putting two and two together Um, there's entire like levels of the game that you can just completely miss because you have to do some really obscure thing to get there to unlock it so it's 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 one of those games that exists almost independent of the people who play it and to me that's really interesting
0: Earlier you had mentioned some bosses that you felt were some of the most rewarding parts of the game, and I am actually interested in hearing about them, but maybe in the spoiler zone if you're ready for it. Yeah. Do you want to do a quick break and run through the show's non-sponsors? I absolutely can, because I am proud to announce that this episode is not sponsored by Handages, bandages for your hands games like dark souls can really push you to your mental limits so don't let your psychotic breakdowns bruise and batter your ever-important phalanges protect yourself with handages handages are easy to use glove-like bandages that slip effortlessly over your dainty manos that way you can trudge forward further than you ever thought possible given the circumstances. What are you waiting for? Hurry up and ignore this week's premier sponsor, Handages. Bandages for your hands.
1: Hey there, listeners. Have you ever looked at somebody else doing something complex, like solving a Rubik's Cube, or beating a Dark Souls boss, and wish, man, I want to be able to do that too? Well, you can. Today's non-sponsor Skill steal allows you to suck the skill right out of other people that you see on the street doing interesting things. Gone are the days where you have no idea if turning that face of the Rubik's Cube will bring you closer to victory. Now you too can be the smartest person you've ever met with skill steal. Now, Skillsteal has helped me in many, many ways, including in the recording of this episode, whereby I have stolen all of Daniel's ability to play Dark Souls and infused it into myself. Skillsteal is offering a one-time premium code only for Res listeners. Just enter in Handages at checkout to get your first month of Skillsteal for free. Good luck and good stealing. There's a boss in Dark Souls named Manus that uses giant scary hands to attack you.
0: No, <laughs> does he really?
1: Yeah, I think handages would be perfect for him.
0: Oh, hey guys, check out my handages.
1: They really help my abyss welts.
0: <laughs> so, you had mentioned earlier that there was some there were some Dark Souls bosses that that stuck out to you. Like really strongly that you really liked, especially when you got to beat them. I don't remember their names, um, but what can talk about that? What what were they like that really made it good for you? Hmm.
1: So, and and this just came to mind whenever I went to take our break. But one of the things that I also love about Dark Souls is the the player stories it generates. Everybody's experience is going to be slightly different. Um, and when you tell other people about the the bosses that you beat, the ways that you have triumphed over the challenge, it really means something. So you come with, with cool player stories. All of my player stories start out with intense frustration. And I remember the first time I played through the game, the... The difficulty gap was really raised when I got to Anne Orlando, and this is kind of the moment where, I think it's funny that you say, you know, leaving the Undead Asylum, that's when the game starts, but for me it was, after you beat the first section of the game, that's when the game starts. It's, play time's over. All of the bosses up until that point are pretty slow, you can... You can get through most of it just by being over leveled, so getting a lot of extra souls and, and buffing your vitality and your strength and your endurance to the point where the enemies are, are only dealing like five damage to you per hit. But once you get to Anor Orlando, like the game just takes off off the uh, the baby gloves and starts smacking you around. The first boss of Anor Orlando, It's the first um, 2v1 boss in the game. I can't even. And it's also the first boss with two phases in the game Uh that you run into. So the way that Dark Souls is structured, let me kind of break down what the actual game has you go do. And that'll put this in context. You start out in the Undead Asylum like Daniel's saying. You fight the tutorial boss and then this crow picks you up and takes you to the Firelink Shrine which is in a place called Lordran. So in Lordran when you land you are told that there's this prophecy for a chosen undead will one day rise up and ring the two Bells of Awakening and then do something else, like who knows what else. That's just kind of the, the local little prophecy that people share with one another. And of course, you're thinking, well, I'm the chosen undead, so I got to go ring these two bells. Each bell is guarded by a boss. Uh, the first being the bell gargoyles and the second being Qualog. You can fight them in either order. Um, but one has you rise up to the top of the Undead Burg to go to the Undead Parish and and fight on top of this church. And actually, that's a lie. Ornstein and Smell aren't, isn't the first boss where there's two bosses. The Bell Gargoyles, there's technically two of them. Um, the second one enters in when you get the first one to half health. Um, but it is also at half health, so it's kind of like 1.5 enemies. They're pretty easy to kill. You fight the bell gargoyles, ring that bell. And then the other bell, you have to go down beneath Lordran, down through a place called Blight Town, which is this horrible place full of like poisoned muck and like these guys that have toxic blowpipes that can kill you really easily, giant ogres throwing rocks around. Uh, and you fight this this chaos witch named Qualog, who's half woman with giant flame sword, half. Spider that vomits lava and explodes.
0: Exploding lava, you say?
1: Uh, Exploding spider oh, okay. that also vomits lava. I see, I see. Yeah. So after you ring these two bells, you go through a place called Sen's Fortress, which the gate to Sen's Fortress is closed until you ring the bells and then it opens up and you go through it and you get to the top of this this really, like, twisted funhouse of all these swinging sides and these traps like blow dart traps and guys ready to push you off of uh very precarious cliffs to the top where you fight the iron golem which is another boss that you can kill by just pushing off the ledge um which is it's super satisfying but you fight the iron golem and then you touch this like ring of light and these pale, like, hairless uh, demon bird things come pick you up and take you to Anor Londo, which is kind of cast as the capital of Lordran. It's this beautiful golden city of light, uh, like, absolutely stunning-looking. Everything's really nice, marble, giant, fantastic castles. And when you land there you have to fight a long time like through many many enemies to get to the next area boss Ornstein and Smell. So at this point you've you've beaten a lot of bosses in the game you've gone to a lot of different areas and those are all kind of connected uh, levels and Orlando is physically disconnected from from that starting area. So that's kind of why it really feels like this is the the next step up in the game. Because you can't go back to where you came from until you beat Ornstein and Smo. So, this is one of the sections that was always incredibly frustrating for me, and still is. Um, because to get to Ornstein and Smo, you have to fight through these these silver knights that are much higher up on the castle than you are and you have to get there by like going up these parapets that have no railing and they're shooting these giant great bows at you and if they hit you they just knock you off and so you you know the closest bonfire that you can respawn at is a two and a half minute walk away and it's just very frustrating to have to go through this over and over and over and over again because you keep getting knocked off and dying Um, but when you finally make it through, you get to the interior of this cathedral, go through the fog gate and behind the fog gate are these two guys. You've got Ornstein, which, or Ornstein or Ornstein or (laughs) he is, he's like the, the, the king's personal bodyguard, Lord Gwyn is the, like the, the. High royalty figure of the game. Lord Gwyn has a bodyguard, and he's also got an executioner, which is Smo. And Smo is this giant, like fat guy who's he's huge. He's like completely made out of bronze.
0: Oh, okay. Or at least
1: he looks like that because his armor is like one solidly connected piece, and he's got this giant hammer that um, he can kill you with in like one hit. And then Ornstein is he's like the the king's bodyguard. He's known for being a dragon slayer. Um, He's a little bit smaller than Smo, but he's very fast and he has this spear that he can shoot lightning out of. So he can like chase you down and pin you in a corner and then Smo will come over and smash the shit out of you with his hammer. So it's a very like, it's a difficult balance to to play with in the first phase of the fight. Mm Mm-hmm. Once you kill one of them, the, uh, the fight stops, and a little cutscene plays where the other one absorbs their power, and so uh-huh. they become, like, gigantic, like, huge, um, and if, if you kill Ornstein first, then Smo will absorb the lightning power into his hammer and so his hammer will start having lightning effects Uh, and he'll start being able to like do these massive aoe blasts and then if you kill smo first then ornstein gets huge and like whenever he's big he's he's still incredibly fast and his attacks come out really quick he's just very difficult to deal with
0: that's so cool i had never seen anything like that where where you kind of might as the player pick which one is is maybe an easier target but ultimately mm-hmm. it makes the other one even harder
1: exactly and
0: so the the prevailing
1: strategy of the fight is that you kill ornstein first because Smo, when he's big and has the lightning it's still pretty easy to avoid whereas if you kill Smo first that's kind of the easier thing to do in the first phase but giant ornstein is like impossible to deal with yeah um, especially for me in this playthrough, I was playing with the, the Zweihander, which is a class of weapon called an Ultra great sword. Oh, it's like, it's taller than your character is. <laughs> and I was wielding it two handed, even though I could have wielded, uh, wielded it one hand. I had the stats for it. I was wielding it two handed, um, just cause I really wanted to play through the game like that. That the swinging that sword is incredibly slow and leaves you open to attack for a long time afterward. So the main strategy with using the Ultra Great Swords is that you want to stagger your enemy so that as they're being like staggered and trying to regain their composure, you have time to finish your attack animation um, and not open yourself up to a counter hit. That's really hard to do when you're managing two enemies. Beating Ornstein and Smo, as a new player, when you've beaten them, that's whenever you have the confidence to say, I can take on anything in this game. That's the true test. Because every boss after that is tough, but it's not that tough. And so for me, going back and playing them again, using an Ultra Greatsword and no shield, was like, it was like being thrown back in that setting of, this is if i can beat this i can beat anything
0: also because every boss comes after them in the story you also have to like build up how do i use a great sword two-handed and then you can apply those same things to the next bosses and that also makes them like not stand out as much as ornstein and Mm smoke yeah i see
1: and if there's any common criticism of the first Dark Souls, it's that the bosses after Ornstein and Smo, up until Gwyn are pretty lackluster. So after you kill Ornstein and Smo, you get this thing called the Lord Vessel. Mm-hmm. And you take it back to Firelink Shrine where you are told by this black snake thing that you have to go out and collect the souls of the four lords. Mm-hmm. And these four lords were the... In the opening cinematic, the people who helped Gwyn fight the dragons in the very beginning. Oh, yeah. That started the Age of Fire. Yeah, so you have to go out and you have to kill the Gravelord Nito, uh, Seath the Scaleless Dragon, uh, the Four Kings, and and Lord Gwyn himself.
0: What a... a Side note, why are these guys no longer... They, they seemed like heroes are they not heroes
1: oh and you have to kill the bed of chaos okay well yeah they are no longer heroes no so then th- this is this is where the story is interesting because you are there, there's not really a notion of what's good and what's bad in dark souls right it's very gray and it's very up to your interpretation so the fact that these these five bosses Really, it's it's the four bosses that I mentioned, and then you fight Lord Gwyn after them. So you fill the Lord vessel with the those four bosses' souls, and then you get to unlock the ability to go to the kiln of the first flame, which is where Lord Gwyn is. They kind of are acting as a a safeguard against any quote unquote chosen undead coming in beating Gwyn and then perpetuating this cycle of fire because it's very strongly hinted in other parts of the game that the cycle of fire is not necessarily a good thing. Oh, okay. It's, it was started by man. And so that's why men have an interest in keeping it going. But for the world at large, it's really just creating more problems than it is helping anybody. So, That's why it's kind of like this. It depends on how you want to interpret the story Mm -hmm. and what side you come down on, whether or not it's a good thing to rekindle the flame and, and have another go around at the cycle and maybe hope to reverse some of the hollowing that's going on or to not rekindle the flame and let it die out and let the age of man end.
0: Oh, so that would be like everybody who is undead gets to die for good? Exactly. I can sympathize with that, uh, seeing what I saw just in the little tiny bit. People did not seem to be particularly happy about their situation there. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm. Is that a choice that you have at the end of the game? Like, that you get to... It is. Oh, wow. How do you usually play it? How do you usually pick it?
1: This is the interesting thing about Dark Souls, is it doesn't matter. You are just one undead in this whole world of undead. Uh Uh-huh. Right? So the the fact that there's these other players isn't, like, some sort of... As far as the story is concerned, isn't really a problem. It's part of the story that there's these other undead that are also they also all think that they're the chosen undead. Yeah. So for the player to interpret the the prophecy as talking about them as kind of hubris in some sense, because even if you decide not
0: to rekindle the flame,
1: somebody else will.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Is that how they? Is that how it? It kind of plays out at the very end where. Mm-hmm. If you decide not to rekindle it, do you, like, see a dude try to rekindle it? Or is it just, like, implied that it gets rekindled anyway by you keeping uh, resurrecting or, like? It's implied. I didn't necessarily expect it to go that way, honestly. I hadn't really considered Mm -hmm. that, that rekindling it would just keep everybody existing in this horrible, like undead state hollowing state but it kind of makes sense
1: and the third game actually addresses it because the third dark souls is supposed to be the the last one yeah um so there is an ending that you can get in the third dark souls that that addresses that i won't give any spoilers about it because that's not the game we're talking about
0: oh yeah that's fair i can i can feel like even just with with your really short description about like About how it all ends up turning out. I can feel like the weight that this game can have on people and could have on me if I were to try to play it. Like, that's a lot to deal with. Both from a gameplay perspective and then if I get to pick up on the little pieces from like a narrative perspective. I don't know. It's a lot. What do you
1: mean? when you say weigh on you what What would weigh on you about that?
0: Oh it's just, like a, it's just like a really big it's just a really big idea. Either that you're not like actually that big of a deal and you went through this whole game kind of thinking that you were or as you kind of allude to with the third one you are a big enough deal to actually conclude things and make that really difficult choice between like people living forever which they might like or people getting to actually like rest get, letting them die i don't know I, It's 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 probably more just that i'm that i'm that i'm hearing it for the first time but it's just interesting how many times have you played through the game now roughly um
1: i think i've only played through dark souls one like four times
0: but still maybe maybe five you you say that like yeah that might be something that you think about but i think you mentioned it earlier you're so removed from like uh the first the first player like the first playthrough perspective that you have to change how you play the game to get close again (laughs) but even with the story you can't really redo the story it's 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 how it actually it's it's how it is it doesn't really change too much Well,
1: it uh, the overarching story does not change. Right, right. But something that you said earlier about NPCs, that can change the game a lot from a story point of view, from a narrative perspective, because in Dark Souls, the NPCs don't seek you out, right? They don't try to come talk to you about stuff. You have to go talk to them. Yeah. And there's maybe like 15 different NPCs in the game. Um, a lot of them you have to go out and actually rescue in the world uh-huh. and if you don't rescue them before doing certain events, then you just will never see them. Oh, okay, and so there's different like n p c storylines that you can either you know miss entirely most likely or have to go really far out of your way and do some very specific things in order to see their stories play out. So from a story perspective, it's it's also a very deep and rich game because it doesn't it doesn't reveal its cards for the most part. It tells you the overarching plot structure that that the world is set in, but there's a lot of little details, there's a lot of characters that you have to learn about and find if you really want to know what's going on. Right. If you really want to connect the dots, there's an explanation for almost everything in the game. How almost how everything got the way it is. So, like, there there's bosses like the Taurus Demon that you can learn where the Taurus Demon came from and how it got to be on top of that wall in the Undead Berg. But you have to go find
0: out yourself how that happened. He's probably just out for a walk. To put a finer point on it, what you're saying is that it's not that the story doesn't change, but it's more that um, there are many layers to peel back on the onion, mm-hmm. and that's where the replayability comes from. Is on another playthrough, you could you could actually either stumble upon or seek out the 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 right NPCs to reveal a lot of the world that you might have missed on a previous playthrough. Exactly all right, you
1: can't do everything in this game on one playthrough you just can't um, and even you know seven years later, playing this game again, I learned a new thing like I learned several new things, so there's always something that that you've never seen before that you're gonna run into on another playthrough
0: can't you just accomplish the same thing though with grimoire cards <sighs>
1: I don't want to talk about Destiny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had to. I felt like I had to.
1: Let me let's pivot a little bit. Sure. I wanted to ask you what what was your leveling strategy? How, like how how high of a level did you get, and what did you put your points into? And what is what is the kind of overall leveling schema of this game look like?
0: I, I do feel a little bit bad continuing to talk about my experience because I, I get to, there's so much more that we could talk about with with outside of the context of the two or three weeks or whatever that we gave for me to play this game. Um but as far as the leveling goes, I wasn't a hundred percent sure based on my experience if like I needed to farm and keep going up. But there was a time where I farmed maybe like five or so levels explicitly. Like, I just stayed in the undead burg and just hunted, came back, leveled up, hunted, came back, leveled up. And because that way I wasn't trying to progress dying and then losing all my experience and then not making any progress. I went hunting for souls. I did do some explicit, like farming to get higher levels but i only got to maybe like level 15 or 16 or something because okay i put some points into vitality but i also was trying to put points into like um, i think uh, it was endurance that helped with with um with being able to carry some things that i wasn't able to carry or it was like it made it so that way I was able to carry the axe one-handed instead of always having to use it two-handed or something, I think. Yeah, that was strength. Strength, then, was was what it was. And then I also did, I think, some dexterity to try to help with the effectiveness of my weapons. That was what I was identifying was, was what I could actually affect at that stage. I was able to either upgrade like my resilience either through straight up health or through like armor or that kind of thing and or i was able to affect uh the strength of my weapons and so i kind of did both of those evenly it was very experimental way to play the game like is this working Eh, kind of is this working better but that's kind of how i was thinking about
1: and how close were you to your maximum equipment
0: load? That's something that I'm not even 100% sure that I could answer.
1: <laughs> like, were you trying to get, like, the heaviest armor and stuff that you could put on?
0: I wasn't really able to find much heavier, other than what was available from, like, the one of the merchants that I found. Mm-hmm. And, but the stuff that he had wasn't super crazy improvements so i didn't purchase them i was the way that i was seeing things and as i have to put that caveat because clearly there's a lot of experience missing but the way that i was seeing things was that trying to get my resilience up and my vitality felt like the right way to go because the boss would just smack me two times i'm gone or something ridiculous Maybe not quite that much, but... And so, trying to... No, that's about right. Yeah. Trying to give myself the ability to use my um, Estus flasks Mm -hmm. without, like, stopping and then just getting smacked and then dying before I can finish it, or just generally giving me more smacks, that way I can, like, maneuver and maybe get in more hits felt like the right way to go. At least for the boss.
1: I think that is the right way to go. There's, so there's strategies basically about every every aspect of the game. One of the strategies is about leveling up and about the equipment that you're wearing. So when you level up early on in the game, it's almost always best to put points into damage. You will never be able to have so much health that getting hit doesn't matter. So it's best to just avoid being hit. And so if you're avoiding being hit, then the most important stat becomes how much damage you're outputting. This kind of gets combined with another, with the, with the philosophy that most people have on their gear, which is there's a hidden stat about your gear, about your equipment load. And that's if you have, you've got some weight that about, you can only equip, you know, up to that many pounds of gear. And then if you, if you have more than that, then you just, you walk incredibly slowly.
0: Oh, I think I feel like I had heard you guys talk about this,
1: but something that they don't tell you is that the less gear that you equip, the better for your movement speed and your roll speed. So if you have, let's say you've got a hundred pounds of equip load possible. If you have 75 pounds or more equipped, you do what's called a fat roll. So you roll super slow, um, and that opens you up to tons of attacks. If you have 50 pounds to 75, you do a mid roll, which is slightly faster, and if you have 25 to 50 pounds, uh, or 25 or fewer pounds, sorry, mid rolls 25 to 75, if you have 25 or fewer pounds, or percent, of your equip load, you roll super fast and you, you finish the roll animation super fast, you can run faster, you use less stamina, all of these things. So what you'll see a lot of players do is have very little in the way of armor-equipped buff the heck out of their, their strength and their dexterity so they can deal tons of damage, and then just fast roll so that way they will never get hit by the boss. So that's a that's a really common strategy that, like, is i think really counterintuitive to how most people tend to approach say an rpg for the first time like in in classical rpgs if you can find a a piece of armor with a higher defense stat you almost always just straight up equip that thing
0: even if it looks terrible with your other armor right that's the the kind of yeah
1: trope Funnily enough, Dark Souls One is almost is basically the only game in the series where armor matters. Every other game after that, like people just basically equip what looks good, because the stats don't matter nearly as much for your defense.
0: Oh, that's kind of interesting. What you're saying though about mobility being king though kinda lines up with with how you were describing like how you actually get around people earlier. So that that kind of fits in. Something that I didn't really try slash have the opportunity to do much of but it might be worth trying i found myself being more anxious about trying to preserve my health than by like sheer force than by trying to like just avoid the encounter altogether it just just didn't even occur to try to do that
1: (laughs) yeah that's something too that like they've changed as the soul series has progressed is in bloodborne for example there are no shields there's only parrying and attacking and i think that after you've played bloodborne for example you become a better dark souls player because you you've learned to not rely on having a shield having a shield can kind of trap you in this mentality of if I can put the shield up, I'll be safe. Which isn't true. uh, Because there's lots of attacks that can break your shield. There's lots of enemies that can get around behind you if you're shielding. Right. But the game, like you said, the game doesn't tell you that. It just gives you a lot of shields. And so you end up using them. There is one shield that's super useful called the Grass Crest shield. But it's only useful to have equipped because it like it increases your stamina regeneration. Oh. So most people will equip it and then never actually use it to block anything.
0: Yeah. I I do want to say that that this is an example of ways that the game does make it so you you really have to rely on other people more than just figuring it out, which I do call back to not everybody wants to play the game that way. It's If the game keeps throwing shields at you, but you have to talk to somebody to find out that you shouldn't even care that they're throwing shields at you, I think that that does get confusing.
1: I mean, you can play the game with shields, don't get me wrong. Like, it it does make it easier if you don't want to do the dodging strategy. I just think that the dodging strategy is better. So, now that you've played some Dark Souls, and you, you understand what it's like and what's difficult about it.
0: Have you watched any speed runs of people playing Dark Souls? I haven't watched any speed runs, but towards the end of this week, I started looking at, like, starting to prime myself for maybe watching some of those by just looking at wikis and things to get me the context that I'm not getting from the game. And that's where I find out things, like, about how the Taurus demon isn't really that... It isn't the end, which I have written down here, uh after i was looking at that the taurus demon is optional f*** me because <laughs> i thought that that was i thought that the little thing afterwards was where i could ring the bell but no it's a ways uh yeah there's a
1: there's quite a bit more
0: um but no i haven't watched any speed runners um i i don't know if if there's any good ones that either me or the listeners should know about as good introductions to the game or or, even entertaining people, if you're just wanting to watch it for entertainment.
1: I have a recommendation. Yeah. This guy named Lobos Jr. L-O-B-O-S-J-R is... In my opinion, the best Dark Souls slash Bloodborne Streamer um, and Runner. Because he he does speedruns, sure. And he did them a lot early on in the game's history. Whenever the speed run like whenever the routes were being first figured out and the the dominant strategies were being chosen. But as time went on, like as as always happens with speedrunning, once people figure out kind of the the optimized way to do the speed run everybody does it that way and it starts becoming uninteresting to watch for days and days on end so he is the king of challenge runs this guy has done it all he has done level one only runs Uh, level one new game plus seven so new game whenever you beat the game, you can start the game over and the enemies become more difficult, like more health. um, They deal more damage. They've got new attack patterns, that kind of stuff. Uh, You can do that up to seven times and get to new game plus seven. Oh my gosh. Uh, So he has done, he's done new game plus seven fist only runs where he's not using a weapon. He's done um, one hit point, one stamina runs where he can't roll. And if he gets hit, he dies He's done uh, runs with, like, only using a wooden ladle as his weapon. Um, he's done first-person runs where you equip a, a an item that puts you into first-person perspective. And he's beat the game that way. Um, he's done runs where he's got, like, weapon swapping mods on. So his weapon is changing every single second. He's done a, a recent run of a mod called The Scorched Contract, which was super interesting. Every boss that you kill adds an additional restriction onto the game. So you get the, you know, the first boss you kill. So the restriction becomes you have to kill every boss to beat the game. And then as you kill more bosses, the restrictions get more and more insane. Like you start taking double damage, your health gets halved. You start being permanently cursed, so you're taking damage over time. Uh, your weapons start like your weapons and equipment degrade while you have them equipped at a really high rate, so they just break if you wear them for too long. Like the, there was a requirement where the every time you beat one of the four main bosses, the game increases one cycle, so it'll go to new game plus one, then new game plus two. Ugh. just like so that by the end of the game there's all these insane restrictions on you. There was one where it's like a certain boss will no longer be susceptible to physical damage. So you have to use elemental attacks to hurt him. It's just crazy.
0: Everything that you've just now said just drains the blood out of my head to imagine me trying to do that. Like me putting myself in his shoes. That's just... Oh, God. (laughs) It's nauseating. <laughs> the good news is that you can watch him and not have to actually do it. And by watching
1: him, like for me, that makes the challenge of playing the game normally so much
0: less intimidating. Uh, well, clearly, that makes sense. <laughs> You're not using a ladle. I would
1: absolutely, <laughs> right. I would absolutely recommend everybody to go check him out check out his challenge runs he's on twitch and on youtube he's got speed runs up if you want something faster i think a dark souls one speed run can last in the neighborhood of like 20 to 30 minutes
0: what pretty fast game oh god speedrunners always blow my mind
1: there, there's some funny things that you can do in dark souls where if you like roll and jump over certain areas you can skip entire sections of the game
0: uh i'd like that in my normal game please
1: I did a, a few sequence breaks just to speed up the game cuz a lot of them they don't skip like required bosses, they just skip areas of enemies that I didn't want to fight through,
0: which is fine. That does bring me to a a good question because I think even with uh with um the secret of monkey island you talked about how speed runs are are, are like a, a really interesting part of games to you that doesn't necessarily occur to everybody else. Have you personally tried to speed run either secret of monkey Island or more importantly, dark souls? I'm just curious. No,
1: I haven't, but I've taken a lot of the speed running tactics and put them into
0: like my dark souls play. Mm. Um, and that's greatly improved how I play the game so is that the most interesting part about it is that you can take the pieces that matter to you playing the actual game and then just putting them in
1: i wouldn't say that's the most interesting part i think the speedrun itself is the most interesting part like watching somebody with such mastery beat the game but i think it's a nice side effect that i can take what i learned from those people and put it into my game because they like it's it's hyper optimization right like you can learn the best way to get souls in certain areas by watching speedrunners. You can learn, like, the the routes for just running through groups of enemies. Like, that's one thing that I've really taken from a lot of speedruns, is just knowing, like, if I start at this bonfire and I want to get to this boss, here's the way that I have to run to avoid all the enemy attacks.
0: Which I desperately needed.
1: <laughs> but at the end of the day, like... If you want to speed run the game, you just have to be really good at it because the boss fights there's there's very few boss fights that you can uh abuse certain mechanics on. You just have to not get hit.
0: Yeah, so what what you're saying is that the rest of the game is not irrelevant to you actually putting like knowing enough to beat the bosses. So, you do have to be careful about about not either using those those speedrunning exploits or just using basic avoidance in the game right Mm-hmm. that makes sense
1: yeah because also if you try to apply speedrun tactics you can put yourself ahead of where you should be in the game and if you're not good enough to beat a boss at a very like at a very large level disadvantage then you can just get stuck but no go check out lobos Oh, yeah. Really good streamer. Really good guy. I met him last year at PAX. Super kind. Just very good-natured. Very entertaining. So, two thumbs up. Seven out of seven for Lobos. Two paws up. You mean?
0: Since... Wolf. Yeah. He's a wolf man. So, you've been able to show some of your experiences that you've had with Dark Souls. And... Why, why you feel like it's a unique game to you and what other people have added to the game through just being oracles or people who can guide players or more niche things like people who find exploits and do speedruns and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Clearly the game is, it, you, you, you see it very highly. Is, is there a way to, like, give that some perspective compared to other games that you've played? Like, is this your favorite game? Is it fair to say that? Or is it just, like, something that, you, that you've had so much fun with, but it's not necessarily your favorite. It's just a really good set of memories that you've had from it. It's a good question.
1: It's one of my favorite series for sure. I've I've not stopped paying attention to Dark Souls and its sequels since it came out. So just from
0: like time invested alone, it has to be one of my favorites. I uh, I don't think you meant to make it sound like this, but it sounds like well I have no other evidence. It's just taken up so much time. <laughs> I. I... I
1: mean when I look back on my my life, yeah.
0: It's taken up so much time. Do is there is there any sign that the series is gonna continue? Bloodborne was like how many years ago now?
1: Bloodborne was like four or five years ago, I think. Yeah. Bloodborne's the best one. Oh. Don't get me wrong. Dark Souls is fun. Bloodborne is is a seven out of seven game
0: oh we're using the daniel scale i see
1: we are (laughs) dark souls is good but bloodborne's better Uh, but yes they they are continuing it there's there's a new from software project called shadows die twice uh that they've announced that's not the actual name of the game but there's speculation that they're going to reveal it at e3 in two weeks
0: oh okay okay that's good it's good to it's good to know that that something like this isn't doesn't just belong to the past that it's going to keep going forward just like bloodborne did a couple years ago um why did you why did you want to pick out dark souls rather than demon souls as the as the one for me to experience first is it about polish um
1: Well, it was originally because I thought we'd play the remaster, Uh... which is something we haven't even talked about yet. The fact that the remaster... (sighs) So, if you've never played Dark Souls before, Mm -hmm. and you want to play it now, your only option is to buy the remaster. They've taken the original version off of all of the platforms, Mm -hmm. and it's 40 bucks, and... The only thing that really has changed is a few graphical improvements, like making the frame rate more stable. Mm-hmm. Dark Souls is a game where the, the game update speed is also tied to the frame rate. So you can have some really weird uh, bug abuse if you like lower the frame rate intentionally to like, clip through walls and stuff. But I don't think that the remaster was a good remaster like it doesn't look very different at wow. all uh, especially if you were playing on pc um it doesn't fix most of the original bugs with the game and it introduced some new ones
0: oh that's the worst
1: yeah it, it it feels like a cash grab they didn't add like there's so many things that they could have updated and changed and added and fixed and they did none of it basically um which is sad
0: that makes me feel somewhat lucky then to have the xbox 360 version honestly Mm -hmm. even though you mentioned the frame rate yes the frame rate could kind of stutter on the on the emulator Mm -hmm. but i don't know it did feel it was only 20 bucks and if you're saying that it didn't really change that much i'm cool with playing the original
1: yeah you yeah
0: you're not missing out on anything
1: unfortunately if you've never played the game before you really only have one option at this point which is to buy the remaster don't get me wrong it's as good as the original because it is the original game but it's 40 bucks they just haven't changed anything
0: it's 40 bucks yeah are you gonna continue after this playing in the remaster or are you gonna go back to the to the original
1: uh i'm probably gonna keep playing in the remaster I need to finish. I, I've never actually finished the um, the Artorias of the Abyss DLC, so
0: I'm I'm playing through that right now. I'm guessing it's very dark in that in that expansion. It's it's very dark. Yeah.
1: It's interesting too because the that expansion is kind of held on a on a pretty high pedestal of this is some of the best bosses yeah. uh, in the series and the, the one thing that really stuck out to me with dark souls as i replayed it after having played dark souls 3 and bloodborne uh-huh. is that the original one is just so slow yeah like the game is amazingly slow paced as compared to these newer ones so these bosses that people like used to talk about as being lightning fast, like Artorius, who, you know, swings his sword around. It's like, you can, you can just walk and he'll miss you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's insane how not fast paced
0: these things are comparatively anymore. Is it kind of like, I guess an arms race type situation where, yeah, we have, we have little boy and fat man, but, 10 years later we have hydrogen bombs like is little boy and fat man still like a big deal or (laughs) i guess you might not have known where that was going (laughs) sorry i i thought whenever you
1: said little boy and fat man that you were referencing (laughs) orange i didn't even (laughs) intend
0: to do that but that makes a lot of sense yeah no sorry the nuclear bombs for the the listeners Uh, little boy and fat man and they were you know they were a big deal they they were pretty dang effective and killed a bunch of people but then we got like really really giant bombs that kind of dwarfed the already atomic weaponry does the same kind of analogy apply where yes
1: yeah it does because in dark souls 3 And in Bloodborne, like in Dark Souls 3, there's a boss that's a... It's a dual boss with four phases.
0: Oh, God. Uh,
1: And both of the boss... Like, both of the enemies are super fast. But, you know, the whole game has, like, increased in pace. And with Bloodborne, like, some of the bosses that you fight in Bloodborne, like I said, you don't have a shield. So you can't block anything. You have to dodge everything or parry things. And so... And the game speed is much faster.
0: I might be wrong about this, but you might be able to remind me. I feel like I remember you guys talking about Bloodborne and how part of the gameplay itself encouraged you to actually get hit sometimes. Does that go... Is that the case? And does that go along with the whole missing the shield thing?
1: Yeah, it's not that the game encourages you to get hit, but that once you are hit, your health doesn't go down immediately. You get this kind of, like, section of your health bar that changes color. I see. And when you deal damage, it fills back up.
0: I see, I see.
1: So, it just makes us that way. When you get hit, you're encouraged to keep hitting back.
0: You see, that's the kind of mechanic change that I feel like might have helped my experience with Dark Souls, honestly. Something that made it so that way my health was not... Not that it's not precious, but that it's not evaporated as soon as I make a mistake. I can maybe use that to my advantage. I feel like I'm missing that kind of thing in Dark Souls.
1: The only reason I didn't select Bloodborne is because I didn't want to make
0: you buy a PS4. <laughs> Fair enough. It wasn't... we As we discussed, it's not completely out of the question, but I, I appreciate the thought.
1: Well... So I don't know if that puts a finer point on it from my point of view, but I love Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. I think Bloodborne's better, but the whole series is amazing.
0: Yeah. I feel like the only thing that I would say is that I think it's really cool that, that this game exists for people like you. As I said at the beginning, though, I did not necessarily have the greatest time. But I'm really glad that it exists for those who are able to have the greatest time. And so I give it six virtual thumbs out of seven. But in reality, most of those thumbs were cut off by the undead or by demons. (laughs) So they don't actually exist. (laughs)
1: I would really encourage you to go look at some of the ex- like the the external content around the game, like the speed runs and the challenge runs and maybe maybe take another whack at it uh in a week or two after it's all kind of settled
0: down. I think that there's a there's a 100% chance that I'm going to look at the the speedrunners and the lore and stuff. It might take me longer than a week to recover from from where I am right now.
1: <laughs> That's fair. Well, What are we doing uh, next time?
0: Well, we should move on then to the die rolling portion. The die being the way that we figure out what our next genre will be that we'll talk about. So I have a die. You can hear it smacking the table. Yeah, good waveforms. And on my tablet here, I have my list of doom, aka the things that I can make Riley do. The If I roll a 1, I'll pull from the list of movies. If I roll a 2, I'll pull from the list of books. If I roll a 3, I'll pull from the list of video games. And if I roll a 4, I will pull from a list of TV shows. So... All right, let's hear I'm it. I try to make it loud. Ow! Oh. I rolled a two. A two. Which is books. But we'll never do books. <laughs> I think you said that exact line last time. I did. So, as is tradition, it's time to make a spectacle of the person. Who is not choosing this week's topic. What do you think the book is that I'm going to pick?
1: Hmm. Well, I don't think it's something topical. (laughs) And I don't think that it's something that came out recently. It's a good good
0: guess. I'm
1: going to have to say Avengers Infinity
0: War. Man, I loved that book, but... uh, Was I right? You were unfortunately not right. It was Black Panther, wasn't it? Uh, It is not Black Panther. I'm going to get it off my bookshelf really quick. This book was given to me as a gift by my sister many years ago. Uh Uh-oh. And it is, unfortunately for some people, maybe not you, maybe you might like this, it is a nonfiction book. It is the book, "The Drunkard's Walk," how randomness mm. rules our lives. How randomness rules our lives is the the tagline. The drunkard's walk. Okay. Um. That's something that I've been interested in reading for a while. Bueno. So i have a feeling that we can do this within two weeks we haven't done a book yet so Mm -hmm. this is something though from my memory we can get as far as as we want to in it and there's still tons to talk about so i can
1: read a book in two weeks
0: now you as the listener can also give the book a read if you so desire
1: this is going to be interesting Because up until now, we've only done stuff that's fiction.
0: I think of it this way. Even with the fiction, there are facts about the fiction that we have already gotten wrong and have had to do fixes on. You're right. You're right. I'll
1: be looking for any way in this book to exonerate myself from having to be correct. (laughs) It's probably just randomness in my memory that's
0: causing me to say the wrong thing. Well'll we'll, we'll see. We'll see on the next episode of Rez. Thanks for listening. Thank you guys for listening.